Hello and welcome to the Joe Russ Podcast, episode 7. Recorded in the very, very early hours of the 5th of March 2015. You join me in my car, as you can probably tell from the sound quality. Again, that's because it's late at night and my girlfriend's asleep, or my fiancé, should I say. So, it's been a little while since I last did one of these, and in the meantime, we did a meet-up in the pub, or had a meet-up in the pub, which was good fun. Got very drunk with Scott from Mintcast and Jesse from Linux Luddites, Matt Copperweight from Dick Turpin Roadshow. I've talked about it quite a lot, and some listeners and some log people came, and it was really good fun. And I took along my recorder and plugged a couple of microphones into it, and we recorded about 20 minutes. Now, the pub was very loud. It couldn't be more opposite to this situation I'm in now, where I'm in the dead of night, effectively. It was so loud in there. We really had to shout to even hear each other speak. And so it's very shouty. I think you can make out what we're saying. It's not crystal clear, but it was recorded in a pub. What do you want to do? So I suppose without further ado, let's listen to that. Okay, so I'm here with Jesse from Linux Luddites, Scott from Mintcast, and Matt from the Dick Turpin Roadshow. And so the question that I've got for you guys is, why do you use Linux? Is it stability? Is it security? Is it because of freedom? Is it because of price? So Jesse, why do you use Linux? Well, I guess I was first introduced to Linux when I was at university. A friend of mine was playing around with it. And he sort of said, you know, look at these great things it can do and look at the wobbly windows and look at the crazy cool cube. I was like, yeah, those, those all look great. I was still on Windows after that. And it was only one after I left university that for some reason I decided to like tinker with it a little bit and I had a dual boot for a while. But then I just found that the way that it meant that I could sort of, I could play around with it more than Windows, I could... I could make, there was more freedom of installing things. So the problem I have with Windows is that you have to download an EXE, you have to then install that one EXE, and that is it. Whereas having all the, all the things you can install in one big list, that you can search that list, you don't have to go and flag it around, download.com, all those sorts of things, means you have a nice, easy install base of whatever applications you want. So I mean, like, free, like the fact that it's free to purchase is a massive bonus, but the fact that it's everything you install and updates all together in one big cluster, that's, that's my favorite part. So what about you, Scott, then? Why do you use Linux? So the fact that it's free is probably the biggest piece. I mean, you can just use it. You know, uh, you know I think about um, having to install, say, Windows 7 or Windows XP. You put that on a box right now, and you, and you, have, to, you have to update it forever. It's, it's literally a, a 45... You know, 45 minutes to get the base install on there and three hours of updates coming down from Microsoft. Three hours? More like three days. Yeah, well, wherever you are, yeah. And, and it's actually it's so much quicker. We've talked about this a bunch of times where, you know, you can do an install. You can upgrade to, uh, you can take a clean box, bare metal. You can have your install on there, particularly if you're coming off a USB. You can have that done in, in 10 minutes and then you can have it updated within 20 minutes to half an hour, depending on how old the image is or how many updates are coming on it. So from that point of view, you know, I have a lot of hardware at home that I like to mess around with. 
and it's so much easier to install. I, you know, we talked about it on the show how I got my wife on, finally got my wife on Linux, and I've been trying to do that for a while. And one of the big reasons is because to put her to build her a Windows Seven box would be a pain in the ass. I don't want to do that. I don't want to have to do that. And it, it you know, the, Jesse, you talked about the updates. I mean, the, she can update that box herself. Now, granted, there, the wife test is always the big, the big one. You know, you got it. Your biggest support. Oh my, what do I do about my iTunes? Is the big question. And uh, you know, honest, since I put her on that uh, Min 17 box, uh, and I think it's Mate. Pretty sure I got her on Mate. I'll have to check when I get home. Uh, it, uh, I don't hear that anymore. You know, I, I think GTK Pod is working great for her. So, so, so it's probably it's probably the freedom, the ease with which it's it's actually easier to use in my mind than than Windows is at this point, and, and the stability. It's it's so rock solid now, and easy to use. That's probably the, some of the biggest reasons. Okay, what about you, Matt, then? So, I, those are all great reasons, definitely. Uh, for me, the original reason I used Linux was because it wasn't Windows. It was, I was using Windows a lot at the time, and I was like, well, let's try something new. You know, I was doing a lot of uh, ASP, writing ASP code. Uh, I was using you know, quite low-level Windows stuff. Uh, and I was like, well, let's give Linux a go, because it's different, and it's not the same. Uh, but these days, for me, using Linux is about the customizability. That's why I use it, is that I have control over what I'm doing. And if I don't like it, I can change it. And if if I have a problem with the way another operating system works, I don't have that level of control. So the reason I use Linux is because I can control how it works. And how much do you customize your Linux install? Quite heavily, particularly because I run it on a laptop. Uh, so there's a hell of a lot of stuff I do have to do to it, like getting the touchpad to work how I like. Uh, I, I, the laptop I run has an NVIDIA Optimus chip, so uh, it's it's an incredible amount of work to get that to, to run in a, in, a, in a way that works for me. Um, yeah, I, I have to customize it a lot. I, I guess maybe I'm a bit more of a power user, maybe, but yeah, I, I do have to customize it, and that, it gives me that control. I, I'm not at the mercy of... Uh, whatever operating system is the one that I'm provided with. But you know, I found uh, the odd thing about customization is that I used to use Opera, Opera back in the day, and like it had all these clever things where you could sort of have a right click, backslash, and it uh, sorry, right click and back drag, let's say, and it would like go back a page or forward a page or new tab, all these sorts of things. And then I'd use a computer for a friends or a computer at work and it wouldn't have all the shortcuts and clever things I did. And I realized actually, certainly with web browsers, the more standard you had it, the more you could, you could use every web browser. And if you customized your web browser with shortcuts or clever keys, all sorts, and, it, and it, it does sort of trickle a little bit into the full mainstream distro. It's funny that you mentioned that. I found that with, because I've customized my phone so much, I find that whenever there's a major update, like from 4.4 uh, KitKat to 5.0 Lollipop, I suddenly found it just horrible and incredibly hard to use because I've customized KitKat exactly how I want it. And with Firefox as well, I complained hugely about when, yep. they, when they updated that. Because if you customize it too much, then th there's, when they force changes that don't fit with your customization, suddenly you're lost and you're having to use a new workflow. Well, that's sort of the, the whole argument for learning um, Emacs or Vim. 
You know, the idea, you know, we all sort of avoid that, you know, and everybody's nano now, but, but really, if you, if you want to be able to have something that you can use on any box, you better know that. So I never answered why I use Linux. Um, I suppose the, the reason that I use it is uh, for a few reasons, and the main one is security, I think, because I got so sick of having to run antivirus and, and zone alarm and all that stuff on Windows. And combine that security with the stability that you get with Linux, and really the freedom. And it's funny that none of you really spoke about freedom as in kind of GPL freedom. It seems like that's kind of a backseat. Everyone's kind of making shrugging faces at me. But is, is the freedom aspect of it not really important to any of you then? Or is it less important than the, the practical, uh, pragmatic reasons to use Linux? Certainly less important, uh, you know, absolutely. I, I think it's, it's nice that it, I, it's more of a nice to have than, than a have to have, really. I, don't, I think if that was all that it offered, I, I, you know, I hate to say it, I'm not, you know, I'm a freedom hater, I guess. The freedom for me leads to the configurability, the, the customization, the fact that it's free means that people can add their own things or remove their own things and it, it enables configurability. So freedom's certainly important, although yeah, obviously not a, a core product of the reason I use it. And like, when I started using it, I did not think I will use this because it's a free, free as in Libre free operating system. I thought, well, it happens to be free as in beer, that's great. And, and, uh, and I now understand having used it and having talked about it and thought about it, it is a good thing. Uh, like you say, Scott, you know, it's, 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 a, it's a nice to have. It's, it's a definite bonus on the side. And I don't, mean, I don't say mean on the side, but like, you know, now that I understand where it comes from, because it, it was never even on the radar beforehand, now I understand where that comes from is, is a good thing, and, and I understand it, and I see it in other things that I do or, or, or use, but it is not something that gets you onto it. You have Because how do you go from Windows to saying, I suddenly want freedom, not knowing what freedom is, you only, use, you only know what freedom is because you've got onto Linux, and then, and then you, you understand what that, that sort of world is like. Well, that ties into the second question that I wanted to ask you guys. And that is about mobile operating systems. We've talked about uh, desktop Linux pretty much and potentially server GNU slash Linux, let's say. But we're moving away from a world where people are using desktops into a world where people are using mobile devices. And we've got a serious duopoly. I saw an article or someone linked to an article about that recently where it's all iOS and Android. But you've got quite a few competitors to that now with Firefox OS, Ubuntu phone, which has actually got hardware shipping now, Sailfish OS, all of them Linux-based. And so do you think that any of them have a hope or are we stuck in this uh, duopoly and that's it? It's either iOS or Android. And I mean, there's even CyanogenMod, arguably is a, a separate distro. Tizen for the win, baby. <laughs> really? Not Ubuntu phone? Uh, I've, you know, honestly, I haven't seen Ubuntu phone. You know me. I, I have this, this hope for Tizen for the, that, that they'll make something of it. But, you know, I, you know, I have a... I, Does this not oppose Joe's prediction that Tizen phone would die a horrible death? <laughs> yeah, thanks, Joe. Uh, you know... I think I'm even more pragmatic with my with my mobile phone. Uh, you guys see, I got a. It's funny because everybody's got an Android phone around this table. That's an iPhone, and it's dead. 
so my battery died. It doesn't really like the UK carriers, I guess, but uh, it's got a fatter case around it, so that it doesn't look like one. Has that got, has that got an extra battery compartment on it? No, as well? it's got my credit cards actually, so it's got. It's a big case. It's, but uh, you know, I, I had an Android phone. I actually really like my S4, um, but it's all pragmatic. It's not necessarily uh, tied to anything else. I don't think. You know, we hold up Android as, as a Linux variant. I think that's stretching it. You know, it's. Oh, yeah. I yeah. mean, it might have a Linux kernel, but there's so much proprietary stuff on top yeah. of it that it may as well just be an iPhone, really. I think we're in a, we're you know, you're making a choice now. Mainly, you're either going to buy into Apple's Wall Gardener, you're going to buy into Google wanting all to know everything about you. So, you know, it's interesting. I was, uh, I went on the web today and I'm getting uh, train train advertisement, train line advertisements, because I tried to look up my fare for this ride down to London today. So it's, you know, they're all over you. It's just, it's creepy, actually. Yeah, there's the same wall garden that Apple have. There's the same wall garden that Android have. Uh, it's, it's just a slightly different looking wall garden, slightly different flowers in it. Um, you know, it's still got DRM. You still have to have the right applications. It, it does give you slightly more control. You may even have a gate in your garden, but uh, yeah, ultimately it's the same thing. And the thing with, uh, what did you call it, a du duopoly? Du du duopoly, is that I, I kind of think that, okay, it will be bad in the long run, but in the short term, it will be something that will encourage development, and it, it has done, you know, it's encouraged competition, and it has allowed us to get to the stage where an Android phone is comparable, if not better, than most iPhones. And we, the, the question is, where do we go from here? What's what's the next step? The the hardware is essentially the same. The software is here or there. You know, neither here or there. It's kind of like, well, what's next? And I, I'm kind of hoping that the next bit will be freedom. That you do have that control. I mean, you always had like Windows was massive, and you know the start. Um, Mac was never a really big thing. There's BSD, there's um, Unix, and Linux came out of that, and Minix is it as well. And there's all these various startups, and you do get a couple that really take hold. And we're going to talk, you know, I'm going to unsite Microsoft Windows and Apple Mac as two, I'm going to say the two most dominant desktop operating systems. But Linux has got bigger and bigger. I mean, I was chatting to one of the guys that's here now, and he was saying that. When he, you know, had like a lug, it was him and another guy, and he was happy that four people turned up. And you know, we've organised this with a fairly shortish notice, and and just sort of Google Plus and what like, twi uh, Twitter, and like, you know, there's there's a dozen or so, and it's it's, it's you know, it, it scales up. I mean, you know, it's not massive, but it, it certainly scales up. And you kind of think, well, if if Linux has taken a bigger portion of the market share of the like, desktop space and there's just more interest in it. We are only at the fledgling stage of Ubuntu phone. The first phone has come out. The first Tizen phone came out not long ago from the... I'm right with Tizen is the, the Finnish kind of group. Tizen is out of India. Uh, well, it's Samsung. So it's Migo, Mamo, Tizen. Samsung owns it. Who am I thinking of? I'm thinking of Sailfish. Sailfish is, is the one thing I love. And like, they're, they're only just starting, whereas Android and iOS has had like, they've had their hand in the game for a long, long time. And these people will have to start somewhere. And so I think like, in two years time, I think the market will be different, assuming they like stabilize in the way that, and they stabilize in the way that 
like Linux has stabilized. Like you can open Skype now. That was never a thing two or three years ago. You can open, you know, whatever, whatever install, sorry, whatever program you want to install on Windows or iOS or Mac OS, OS 10, thank you. You can now do it on Linux. And that is the big difference with where it was two, three, four, five years ago and where it is now. And I think we're, we're trying to judge startups in the same way that like trying to compare it to Windows Phone. Windows Phone should in theory be awesome, but it's not. It just doesn't quite have the pull. But you know, like we're trying to we're trying to compare apples and pears. It's, it's not it's not quite true, I don't think. What's interesting about the phone market at the moment, I find, is that everybody looks at the smartphone end. Everybody's interested in smartphones because that's kind of where Apple is. Apple is at the the high end, the top end, that everybody wants to have the latest and greatest phone. Where actually nobody really looks at kind of the lower end, and actually where Microsoft uh, and Windows Phone does very well is at the lower end, and where Firefox is doing, uh, Firefox OS is doing very well, is not even in the in Europe in the Western world. They're doing very well in places like Africa and Asia because their devices are very cheap. Places where they want to have a good internet connection or have an internet connection at all, uh, and and have access to that from their smartphone, and it's it's very difficult to foresee how that will will play out in the future, but. In, in where we are in the Western world, we're going to end up in this situation where we do have this bureaucracy, but uh, in Asia, it's very much more open. And I think that's where uh, Ubuntu Phone has sort of missed a trick, and Firefox OS has been very uh, cunning in the sense that they can release a phone in somewhere that is essentially untapped. So there, there is a wide market out there that they can. Uh, yeah, it, exploit it's not a great word but you know they can yeah, they, they can release something that people can really make use of and promote free software and open source software while they're at it but this is where Android 1.0 sort of comes in isn't it they're, they're also trying to get into that market it's, it's Android 1.0 the, the lower end the, the sort of lower processing power requirements and they they all see it and you know there's, there's a big push of Apple into China because China wants anything that's basically like Western and, uh, you know, and it makes them look good. But um, it, it's one thing to say that Firefox is leading the way, but I think that the big people have also seen the problem and they've, you know, Android is trying to move that way. That, that was big on their announcement when they announced the Lollipop, uh, the, um, Android 5, when they had their big announcement. It was... It was Android One was a big thing. It's a question of, I think, what we're going to end up with from, you know, taking your point, Matt, there will be a duopoly in the Western world because we need high end. We all desire high end. Whereas in the developing world, which may well be the bigger portion of the market share, they don't need or want high end. It might just end up that they end up with these, dare I say it, fledgling and lower processing power sort of uh, operating systems. Isn't that quite a patronizing way to look at the developing world though? It is, but if they can't afford a £500 phone, I couldn't afford a £500 phone, I got £100 off man, I got a £400 phone. That's hardly like a massive like discount. If you're if I can still afford a £400 phone, that's a massive benefit to me. Like, you are great, but what I'm saying is they can't. So if there's suddenly a £50 phone, which is top end to them, and I, I realize it sounds patronizing, but it's true. Then, then it needs to run on a £50 hardware. And the fact that hardware is getting better and better is nice and good, but we reviewed a £50, £60 hardware phone 
and it and it wasn't as amazing as we hoped it would be. Yeah, but it was still fairly usable with Android on it, as opposed to Firefox OS, which was just horrible. Well, hold on. So one of, one of the things you got, and I'll hand it over to you in just a sec. But what? it's a fledgling OS, like I said. Should be noted that people are fighting over microphones. Yeah, right they now. are. It, the, the profitability, though, for the carriers is in the is in the higher margin phones. So you you look at like Android, and Android really didn't make a splash until it got on decent hardware. And if you can't get Firefox OS, Sailfish OS, Tizen onto decent hardware, it's all going to peter out. You know, they'll just be they'll be like Windows Phone and maybe. Cruising along at one percent of the market, maybe like Linux. Actually, really, when you think about the yeah, the, funny that yeah, yeah, yeah isn't it? But yeah. the, the thing is that none of none of the OEMs are willing to take a risk on high-end hardware with a new operating system. You looking around this table. There's an iPhone six plus. There's uh, a Samsung Note four. There's a Nexus five. But if you look at any of the the, the new fledgling Linux-based mobile OSs. None of them are on high-end hardware because the OEMs are not willing to take that risk. And I think that you're right that if they don't take that risk and put it on something decent, it's, I don't want to harp on too much about my pet peeve, but the same with QWERTY keyboard sliders. They died because every time you got a QWERTY keyboard phone, it was never high-end. It was never the latest quad-core or dual-core or whatever it was at the time. It was always a generation behind. And so it didn't sell because of that. And so then the OEMs thought, well, it's not selling because of the, the QWERTY keyboard. And so they're probably thinking, oh, it's not selling because it's got Sailfish, because it's got Ubuntu, because it's got Tizen. Whereas if they actually put a decent high-end quad-core, octa-core phone with three or four gigs of RAM and a 1080p or 2K screen, running Ubuntu, maybe it would actually have a, a decent chance of selling. Yeah, and wasn't that really the hope of the Ubuntu Edge? Well, yeah, and the Ubuntu Edge, which in one day, uh, Matt, you were telling me earlier that the Pebble smartwatch smashed the Ubuntu Edge campaign, uh, Kickstarter campaign, in one day. Yeah, but steady on. The, the Pebble original was, was I was gonna, I'm going to say cutting edge. It was, it was walking and it was blazing its own trail. It was doing something that no one had ever done before. And now smartwatches don't look old hat, but they certainly are known and understood. And so if Pebble has set that out so well, that of course they have like a huge campaign behind them. Everyone knows the word Pebble. We don't even have to explain what it is. All the listeners know what we're talking about. Whereas the Ubuntu phone, at its time, I believe was one of the highest, you know, fastest, highest, best, all these sorts of words you want to use for a Kickstarter campaign. It was, it was you know, absolutely epic at its time. And maybe this is a reflection on how Pebble is doing their marketing. Maybe it's a reflection on how Kickstarter has become a more normal way of introducing an item to the market. I mean, Pebble is a known brand. They could have just released it. And they could have sold it on like a normal, you know, Amazon type or even eBay like Firefox is doing with their phone type method. But no, you get much bigger press by having it something on Kickstarter and being the fastest selling, the highest profit, you know, on Kickstarter because it's a smaller, you know, it's a smaller base to start with. Well, 23 minutes in, I think that'll do it. So thanks a lot, guys, and um, let's get some more drinks in. I think. Yes, yes. So as I said, quite shouty, but quite good fun, and um, we all got very, very drunk, and a good time was had by all. 
So what else have I been up to? Well, I recorded and produced a Mintcast about Bode, Linux, and Chromebooks, and I also presented it, what we call driving. I read all the intro stuff, and I was supposed to be presenting it, which means kind of pushing things on and being leading it, but Rob is so used to presenting that... Um, I was kind of felt like I was fighting him a little bit in a kind of, you know, friendly way. Not no animosity or anything, but just I felt like he's just so used to it. Like he just starts reading the feedback where I suppose technically it should have been my job and stuff. But uh, it was good fun anyway. And because he was away, I had to do the editing on it. So I cut out some of the ums and ahs as I tend to do because I'm a bit of a perfectionist. So hopefully that was enjoyed. And also we did a mammoth Linux Luddites. It was two hours, 20 minutes in the end. We talked about the news and feedback and then some KDE distros. And then we had an over the pint about proprietary software and stuff, which I could have left out, but I suppose it was we'd recorded it anyway. So I just thought, well, it's only going to take me... It's It doesn't take that long to edit the over a pint stuff because... Because it's less fact-based and it's much more opinion, we we tend to um and ah less, and there's less to cut out generally. It's it's more a case of me just listening through, making sure there's no problems with it, and so it it's almost sort of real-time editing with that. So it's not too bad. But we've been discussing some potential changes to Linux Luddites, which kind of goes against our whole ethos, because I don't know, it's just getting a bit much every other weekend having to edit that much audio it's it takes me about four times as long as the show is so a two hour 20 minute show you're looking at nearly eight hours work i mean it, it really depends on how well we record it and how many ums and ahs and how many breaks and stuff but i would say it's sort of six to eight hours per show which is a lot of work given all the preparation time as well and so we've been discussing various ways about how to possibly adapt the way we do things and try and make it less work all around so nothing decided or nothing ready to announce yet but potential changes hopefully nothing too drastic but um we'll just have to wait and see on that so the last episode i was talking to listener donald about um charlie hebdo and immigration and stuff and it was quite clear that he had a very different worldview to me and I got some feedback about it. Carl said, I've been really enjoying your podcast and I'm glad that you've touched on some difficult subjects. I was not entirely convinced of your position on the Charlie Hebdo attacks and was quite interested in your dialogue with Donald. That was up until about the 35-minute mark, whereas bias was clearly demonstrated. The argument that the North is worse off than London and that systematic abuse by Pakistanis is a cause of concern regarding immigration is blatantly incorrect and, dare I say it, racist. Leaving aside the fact that there are some very impoverished areas of London, the fact that he has singled out one nationality is an issue of race. Systematic abuse has been carried out by a multitude of groups, including mainly white English in care homes and the Catholic Church. To say that this is a Pakistani issue is singling out one group for no other reason than their heritage, culture and race. Which is a reasonable point, and yeah, the Catholic Church and children's homes and stuff is where a lot of child abuse goes on. But, and not wishing to sound racist, but if there is a, a problem with a particular race uh, engaging in that sort of thing, if that is true, and I don't know whether it's true or not, but if it is true, then I think that it's dangerous to start saying, oh, it's racist to start talking about it and start singling them out. 
of course, you've got to mention all the other stuff that's going on at the same time. But if if what Donald said is true, then I think that it, it does need to be spoken about. And you, you can't be um, kind of being forced to not talk about things because of a danger of sounding racist, I think. And Aaron said, regarding your conversation with Donald on immigration, I'm an American, but I've lived in the UK for a considerable period of time and follow the news there closely as well. The problem is the same in both countries. I agree with you that most immigrants are hardworking people who come to a new country to build better lives for themselves and their families, and that immigration is generally a positive thing. However, both the US and UK are allowing an influx of immigrants, but at the same time allowing the manufacturing sectors of their economies to wither and die. When multinational companies, aided and abetted by their lackeys in government, are moving as many jobs as possible to lower-wage countries in Asia, it does not take an economic genius to figure out that an influx of low- to moderately-skilled workers could potentially lead to wage stagnation and high unemployment. You can clearly see this in the US, where middle-class wages have declined, factoring in inflation, since the passage of NAFTA in the early 1990s. Mm, seems like a reasonable point, I suppose. And I always am just astonished that we live in a world where it's cheaper to make things thousands of miles away and then ship them over on big containers and sell them here than it is to make them here just because the wages are lower there. Just in this international world, it just seems crazy to me. I just don't understand this world, I'm afraid. Martin said, greetings from Sweden. I really enjoyed your chat with Donald. I basically agree with him on the Charlie Hebdo thing, and as it turned out, pretty much nothing else. Since you apparently are in favour of self-censoring for the sake of not insulting others, you should probably have edited out the sound of your giggles as the poor man dug himself ever deeper in the whole world of Zionism conspiracy theories. Anyway, good show. Well, as it happens, I am kind of one for the, not necessarily Zionism, but the kind of one world government new world order stuff i i've got some time for that put it that way i'm not saying i believe it necessarily but i certainly am willing to hear people talk about it people who have actually done some research and stuff i don't dismiss it offhand anyway it continues regarding the negativity and the prospect of getting paid doing radio or podcasts just look at carl pilkington the man has made a career out of whining as someone else said personality goes a long way and i encourage you to keep at it that said, statements like, I just don't like it, makes you sound like you haven't formed an actual opinion and just goes with your default scepticism towards unfamiliar things. Nothing wrong with that, I guess, but it comes off as a bit lazy if you're reviewing things. I think that is a fair point, really. I shouldn't just say I don't like it. And having read this email, I am sorry to everyone who I didn't get back to. I've been really, really busy. And uh, I just thought, oh, well, I'll have to just speak to you guys on the podcast. You listened to the last one, so I'm hoping you're listening to this one. And I normally try and get back to emails, but as I said, I've just been so busy. But yeah, I try and justify why I don't like things having read this. So thanks for that, Martin. And it's cool that people are listening from other countries. It's always good to hear that it's not just the UK and America. Scramblow said, <laughs> cool name Scramblow. Anyway, if you want to do a follow-up, you should have Kurt uh, Vestergaard, I think that's how you say it, as an interview partner on your podcast. That is totally possible. He can communicate via Skype. Well, I don't know about that. He's the guy who drew the Mohammed 
cartoon with the bomb turban thing. I don't think he'd have time to speak to me on my lowly podcast, I'm afraid. And I don't know what I'd say to him, really. I'd just say, <laughs> it wasn't very good. You're not a very good artist. And I don't think he'd like that very much. And Lee said that he would have liked to have come to the meetup, and he asked me if I took my Zoom recorder. And that was while I was in the pub, and I replied to him that, yes, I've got it, and yes, we're going to do a recording. So you've heard that. So if you want to get in contact with me, the best way is probably joeresspodcast at gmail.com. Or you can leave a comment on the website. Or you can tweet at me, I suppose, at Joel Ressington. And follow me. I always want more followers on Twitter. I don't follow many people, so I don't have many followers. It's funny that you see people with 10,000 followers, but then if they're following 9,000 people or 11,000 people, then it's just not really... It doesn't really count, does it? Whereas if you're only following 30 people and you've got over 100, then um, it's all about the ratio, or at least that's what I tell myself anyway. So coming up, what have I got? Quite an interesting mint cast at the weekend. Don't want to talk too much about it yet, but I think that should be not controversial, but it should be definitely worth a listen if the guest that we've got booked uh, can make it and everything and everything goes well. So here's hoping on that one. I believe it's a guest who might listen to this, maybe. I'm not sure. He listens to some of my other stuff. And yeah, then I've got so much work coming up that I've literally got no idea when I'm going to do another one of these. I haven't got any ideas for what I'm going to do on the next one yet. So you never know. It might be soon. I might suddenly be struck with a great idea or it might be well over a week. So that's just the way this show goes, isn't it? You never know. But thanks for listening anyway and speak to you soon. (laughs) 